Welcome, everybody, and it's time for Hollywood Godfather podcast again. My compadre, co-writer, friend, Pat Picciarelli is with us, as usual. Welcome, everybody, this evening. And we have our lovely girl Friday, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, <laughs> Megan, <laughs> Megan Warren with us. How are we doing? And we're going to do an, a, a mentor that, you know, I've had so many, fortunately. And this guy was so colorful. And when I met him, Forbes magazine picked him out of one of the 100 richest men in the world. He, um, well, if I can interject here, at one time, he was the richest man in the United States for, for quite a number of years. Yeah, that's when he owned Metro Media and all that, wasn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Not, but how I met him... I met him through uh, Baroness Lagerwall. Who well, how was the Baroness? Very nice. She's still living well, I, in. She's, I asked for she's still living in the penthouse at the Pierre Hotel, and uh, we all. It's ironic because this is going to blow you away, Megan. And Patton wrote about it, but and and only this could happen to me. I used to sell ballpoint pens as a kid in front of the Sherry Netherlands. And spin forward about 20 years, I became one of the better backgammon players in the world. And in the Sherry Netherlands is a club you have to be invited to join. And it's a backgammon club downstairs in the basement, and it's a very high end. So the Baroness invited me because she, I, I, you know, was a good player, and they like, you know go on and go on and go on. So I meet this guy, John Kluge, who, at the time I met him, you know, he owned, seemed like he owned everything. But one of the things that I f found very fascinating, he owned the, the, the uh, Globetrotters. Why he would want to buy the Globetrotters, I don't know. <laughs> Did you what know that? Globetrotters? Yeah. He I owned them. That. Yeah, he owned them. So um, it was just fun because people, every time they were at Madison Square Garden, you know, as an exhibition type thing, obviously we had floor passes and we'd go with, you know, people. But we started playing backgammon. And uh, for our listeners don't, that don't realize, and for anybody else that doesn't, uh, Pat, you play backgammon at all? Uh, no, I, no, I don't. And how about you, Megan? I have before. We used to play it when I was a kid, but I probably forget by now. Yeah, There's a lot more skill involved than each the eye, I understand. Oh, my God. Well, it's one of the oldest games known to mankind, which I, um, I found that's interesting. And uh, what it's about, basically, is mathematics and your knowledge of memory. This is, this is a signal. Do you, are you seeing the signal on my, on my screen as we're recording, Megan. What signal? I see a thing written on my screens. What does it say? It's well, but you're not seeing it. I mean, I, I can't see your screen. I only see mine. This Mac is connected to iCloud because the problem with GRI, whatever, whatever, and I can prefer. I just do it later, right? Just do it later. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. Okay, I don't know. I'm just. Before we all no, through okay. the whole show. <laughs> yeah, go. no, I don't think that's interfering with recording at oh, all. That's so. well. All You're right. good. So make a note of that little editing thing. Okay. So what happened was, 
because of my background being a runner for Costello, I had such a memory for numbers, I became a very good backgammon player. And backgammon, there are 30 pips. Each person gets 15, two people play at a time. And the pips are the, the pieces you move. Now, in the strategy of the game, if you think you're winning, you offer the cube. Now, there's a cube that goes from two to 64. So the, the skilled players, even if we started a game at a dollar a game, if you're caught with the 30 pips on the table, that goes to $32, I mean $30. And then you start taking the cube, and if you go to two to four, it multiplies that. So it can multiply 30 pips up to 64 times. So a game that you got in for a for dollar, all of a sudden now, you know, six or $7,000. And that's, these are the kind of games they had. And then I met John, uh, John Kluge, and this guy was an avid player. And he just liked me and was long before the Godfather and all that. And um, our friendship grew and he had a house in Beverly Hills. So when I was there, we had these clubs, but it was so lucrative that, you know, at the end of the month, we would divvy up. And I have to say, I mean, it's the statute of limitations over. I mean, he was writing me checks sometimes for fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. It's like crazy. But a character, what did you find out about him, Pat? Uh, he was uh, the uh, real definition of a self-made guy. He, he, he came here and he invested in the old Dumont Television Network, which at that time was owned by one guy, oddly enough, named of Dumont, uh, who, uh, whose claim to fame was the uh, Jackie Gleason show. Oh, wow. When uh, Jackie Gleason uh, moved to uh, moved to Florida, moved to Miami, I believe in '56, taking the show with them, they went to CBS. That literally was the end of the Dumont Network. So Kluge comes along and he buys it, and uh, slowly he kept on on uh, on building on it. He bought it for six million dollars, and eventually he sold it uh, for four billion. Four billion. Yeah, wow. and it, it wasn't it wasn't that long after that either, about twenty years after that. But uh, he he was a wheeler dealer. I mean, he uh, uh, there, there was one incident. There was a very famous uh, comedian ventriloquist back in the fifties by the name of Paul Winchell. You remember? Him, oh right? yeah, sure. Winchell, he had that uh, Jerry uh, Mahoney, wasn't his? Jerry Mahoney and uh, how do I remember that? That was his puppet, <laughs> Knucklehead Smith too. Yeah, Knucklehead Smith, the goofy one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, Paul Winchell in his contract had a clause that said after a certain amount of time on the air, the uh, his rights reverted back to him, similar to our book. Our, our, the, the rights for our book are going to revert back to us uh, one time in the future. We're going to own them. We don't own them now. Anyway, Paul Winchell was in his rights to lay claim all his old, uh, what they called kinescopes back in the day. A kinescope wasn't like video. A kinescope was actually taking film of a live show. And that film was called the kinescope. Oh, wow. 
He wanted them all back. He had the right to get them all back. So Kluge ordered them all destroyed out of spite. Winchell was one of the first uh, celebrities to uh, file suit against anybody. He was famous back in the day. He sued Kluge, and he won $18 million. Wow. Uh, and at that time, 1950-something, that was a lot of money. That is a lot of money, yeah. Still a lot of money. But uh, comparatively speaking, uh, they said uh, Kluge, and I'm quoting here, committed capricious behavior. You know, in other words, he was really mean about it. He tried, tried to get away from it. And it didn't work. <laughs> so, now, here's a character. That's right. I mean, he, he, we've had such a friendship that, you know, he had advised me on certain things. I'd ask him certain questions on even even buying my boat, I remember. And he told me how to move this around that and this. I mean, the guy was a brilliant, brilliant guy. And, you know, and I forgot who brought him up that I remember that, you know, the early relationship I had with him. But in, in, in another instance that we spoke about a while ago was that time when he wanted Marlon Brown to come for dinner to this house. It's a great story. And for the, uh, I mean, we're into like 120 episodes here. We've related this story way at the beginning. Right. And I, it, it's worth telling again. It's, 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 it's classic. I know, man. But just to show you, like, the type of once he put something in his head, so I did do Godfather now, spend forward 10, 15 years. I know the guy. And uh, he was having a dinner party, and some friends of his from Europe were coming. And he let them believe that he can, he'll, he'll, he's going to invite Marlon Brando, that one of his best friends who knows him personally, which was me. But, you know, Marlon Brando, you can't commit Marlon Brando to anything. So I said, but when's the dinner? He said, and he, he owned one of the penthouses in the Waldorf Towers, which is like the most prestigious building in New York, other than the Olympic Towers, I think. But the Waldorf Towers, Sinatra kept an apartment there. It was an amazing situation. And fortunately, Marlon Brando was in New York, and he liked to stay at the Elysee Hotel, which is on 54th Street. So I said, let me find out so I, I, I was going to go see him anyway at the Monkey Bar. So I go over there and I said, listen, there's a dinner uh, for Saturday night. You don't have to stay long, but they really would like you to come. He said, oh, you know me, I don't want to go to dinner. I don't like that, all that stuff. I said, the guy will give you whatever you want. He said, what? I said, the guy wants you to come and he'll pay you. He said, what do you think he'll give me? I said, I don't know. He said, well, throw out a figure. It's 15000 all right? You stay an hour, hour and a half? 15000 cash? I, I said, yeah, cash. You want cash? He said, I'll go. So now, the next day, I go see John. I said, he's coming. He was elated. I mean, it was, it was and his dining room was insane. Maybe set 24. I mean, he had every every servant. I mean, everything in the place was like a museum, the artwork, everything. So now the night before the dinner, Marlon calls me, and he says, that dinner tomorrow night, can I bring a guest? I said, it, he, he didn't say you couldn't, but he didn't say you could. Let me find out. He says, well, if I can't bring a guest, I'm not coming. So now that I knew I can get it on. I called John. I said, John, um, Marlon wants to bring a guest. 
is Johnny. I said, well, he said, if you don't bring the guest, he's not coming. He said, oh, no, tell him no. Tell him no problem, bring the guest. So now the, the next day I go to uh, have a drink with Marlon at the Monkey Bar. We're going to go over three blocks, four blocks, right down the, you know, between, uh, he's right on Park Avenue. And Marlon was between Madison and Park Avenue. So we get a car, my, my driver, who he loved my driver anyway, was a female, not a male. And so we went the four blocks. And I'm waiting for him. Here he comes down with this huge German shepherd. I mean, a monster dog. And I said, where's your date? He said, this is my date. I said, oh, no. He said, why, we'll have some fun. So I said, okay. So we go, gets out of the car. Even the people downstairs in the valet where the, the, the Waldorf Towers had their own entrance. So every, you know, they knew Marlon Brown, they assumed with the dog, not a question about the dog, nothing. Got on the same elevator with the people. Because they had, I remember when other people walked dogs, they had an elevator where those people went with the dogs. So now we get up there, and when you get off, you get off on his floor. So his butler, you know, sees us come in, and they're all looking at the dog. John Kluge didn't miss a beat. He came over, said, hello, Mr. Brando, thank you so much. Who's your friend? And he introduced <laughs> the dog to John. John's talking to the dog like it's a human being. <laughs> they let the dog sit next to Brando at the table. Okay. Nobody, I, I'm talking about these are millionaires, the baroness, I mean, people from all over the world. He had his own chair? He had his own chair. Yeah. He had his own chair, and he sat on the chair. He had his paws on the edge of the table, and he's sitting there. <laughs> and they fed him. He, I'm obviously didn't use any silverware, but the, Marlon was cutting up his food for him. The whole night went on, and you would think this was a person. But that's how bizarre... They all are. I mean, Brando is nuts. I mean, and all these other people. Then they're taking pictures at the end of the dinner with him, the dog, and them. Pictures at the table. <laughs> and, and you would think the dog knew they were taking pictures. They were taking pictures from one end of the table. The dog would turn his head to the camera. Every, he was watching everybody. It was like so funny. I couldn't believe it. And, and how is Brando acting? Did he, did he earn his money? Oh, no. He was, no, he, he was, he was really into it. When he saw, you know, some of the people he recognized, I think Henry Kissinger was there also. So some of the people he knew, and obviously he was the, the, the guest of honor. So, I mean, uh, but that's John Kluge, man. He used to pull stuff off. I couldn't believe it. And I mean, I got to really know him well. In fact, his wife, Patricia, I knew. I knew Yolanda <laughs> Kluge. I knew them all. <laughs> But uh, made a lot of money with the guy, though. I was sorry to see him go because he stopped playing, obviously, about a year before he died, and then he died. He died pretty young, too, Pat. How old was he? Uh, he was 84. Yeah, but I got I, I read he was 95. No, he was born in, 2000, uh, in uh, 1914, died in 2010. Well, what does that make him? 95? Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah, not, oh, right, 94, 95. Yeah. <laughs> no, because I figured, why wouldn't this guy live long? Because he got why every not? doctor, he got the best care in the world. But he was a player. I mean, he loved his women, too. I mean, he'd have three or four women at a time. Very generous guy. 
Oh my right. god. One could think that that much money would go to somebody's head, but he was very <sighs> philanthropic. Me. What do you know about him? A millennium? Well, like I just said, you could think that that much money would go to somebody's head, but he donated to, you know, various universities. Um, he had his own John Kluge Center. Um, so he donated. I mean, there was a lot of money being tossed around. Well, yeah, that's well, a lot of those people. I mean, they start there. In fact, he, he taught me early on about a family trust and why to do it that way, where you can control it. And there's certain advantages, especially with me, with the amount of kids I have, that, you know, you get 14000 a kid, immediate write-off. So, you know, me, I'd have to earn a lot of money before I pay any taxes. <laughs> and now I included my 10 grandkids in it. Too. So I got 21 write-offs at 14000 ahead a year. But uh, he originated the uh, the uh, Kluge Prize, where he awarded one million dollars a year was an, uh, a lifetime intellectual achievement award, similar to the Kennedy Center Honors. Oh wow! Person who won it every year, he had this huge ceremony. Uh, whoever won it got a million dollars in recognition of lifetime achievement. Tax free? Uh, I probably he probably took the taxes off the top. Yeah. So like uh, one million plus, but the person who got it got a check for a million dollars. That's fabulous. No, I mean wow. the guy, the guy, and I knew him in, in, on a social level, but he invited us to everything. I mean, us, I mean his crew. But uh, what was his personality like? A jovial guy. And you would never know this guy had the money he had, other than his lifestyle. You know, his people around him. But and, and he hated to lose too. I mean, he'd get really, really, really mad, bitching mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get him crazy with that cue because he want, he always loved to win, and money didn't mean anything to him. So I'd handle him the I'd hand him the cube at let's say twenty four, and he'd take it. That means twenty four. Everything has been bet already. And he, you know, you can give it to him at sixty-four. He didn't care, but you know, he just loved the game. But we'd play for sometimes days, but uh, it's all good, all good. But uh, his knowledge and, and and like you're saying, his philanthropic work all over. I mean, he opened doors for anybody that was his friend. If he needed something, a hospital or a doctor, he just got on the phone and got it done, man. He took care of his uh, alma mater, which was Columbia University. He gave them uh, $510 million. Wow. To be, to be endowed yearly. Yearly? Yes. No, not, no, to, uh, spread over the course of oh. uh, every year. That was, that was total. Between 87 and uh, 93 uh, of that $510 million, $110 million was given just during those years. Wow. Over the course of the entire endowment, it was $510 million. That's amazing. No, I mean, uh, and, and you know, it's not like you're saying a Rockefeller or a Kennedy or this guy, unless, like we're doing, bringing it up, most people don't even know who he was. But he loved Gleason. He loved Jackie Gleason. Maybe that's why he bought the Dumont Network. I'm, I'm sure it was. Because in Jackie, I mean, Jackie, I mean, when Jackie would hang out with us sometimes and then Kalugi would send his car to pick him up. Because uh, you know he had to do the show. That's when they were doing it here at the 
at, at the CBS studio in, in uh, New York before they moved down to Florida. But um, an amazing, amazing guy. He has, uh, I only know of the one daughter that he had with Yolanda Kluge. Does it state how many children he had totally with everybody? Uh, he was married four times. Right. Uh, I've had a bunch of notes here. He had three children. Three children. Total? Three stepchildren as well. Yeah, uh, uh, two were adopted. Yes. Panther was uh, was biological. With also, Yolanda. He also had three stepchildren uh, who remained uh, part of his life until his death. Uh, Diane, Jeanette Brophy, and Peter Lockwood Townsend. Well, but Yolanda was the girl that I, I dated Yolanda soon after he died. So Yolanda, at the time I met, only had one kid. Well, how many? Did, how many they're saying she had? Uh, didn't doesn't really say. Yolanda Zuko. Um, I think just one. Yeah, the girl. She had the little girl. Yeah. Well, she had Samantha with him. Yeah, but right. I'm not sure with with anybody else. Yeah. She you know was wild. What's that? His fourth wife, Maria. No, I don't. I didn't know her. That was the oh. last one. I think there was a Patricia between Yolanda and Maria. Yeah. Uh, I have to tell without a scorecard here. Yeah, but yeah. Patricia was a gorgeous Oriental girl. Yeah. And, 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 and 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 I can't even get into this on the air, but I forget about it. It's like well, nice. before we before we get into any anything else, you guys want to take a quick commercial break? Gianni, oh, you want please, to send it yeah, off? yeah. We'll be right back. We're going to make some money. Buy something. Buy something. It's all good. Believe me. We'll be right back. Welcome, everybody. And I'm so happy to be able to tell you tonight that we are expanding not only the show. Not only how you can participate and share into so many different facets of my life and the life of this podcast and the world we created, we are going to expand our family. You're going to have an opportunity to actually join our family. And it'll be up to you how far you go in our family by the purchases of things we're putting out to you, um, the opportunities that you can take advantage of like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, having me visit your home while you have 10 people for dinner. There's so many things that you're going to be so excited. Just go to HollywoodGodfatherFamily.com and have all the information you want. And believe me, I want you in my family. Don't let me come looking for you. So we're back. We're talking about John Kluge, who's a personal friend of mine and a man of many, many, many talents, friends, and I, I, I goes on and on and on with this guy. And, and like my other mentors, he's, he's really up there. And I'm glad that Pat did the research because I only knew him as a friend. And Pat, you were mentioning his political aspirations. Yeah, well, he, he was pretty slick as he was throughout life. Uh, he donated an equal amount of money to both political parties. Interesting. So one, he won. Uh, also to uh, Congress and Senate, uh, uh, Senate candidates in various states. In Virginia, however, he uh, donated mostly to Democrats. 
but it was about 50-50 down the line. I don't know, is that a common thing with very wealthy people? Yeah, because whenever they want, especially when they own companies like Metro Media and all that, because yeah. they, they need people in the White House voting in their favor. Yeah, no matter who it is. It's right? called lobbying. <laughs> yeah, hello. Yeah, with that kind of money, you do anything you want. He also had uh, an award-winning vineyard and uh, winery, which he opened in 1999. You aware of the winery? Not at all. I was gone by then. 99, yeah, I already, I left his little group. Yeah. 99, yeah, I was, wow. Yeah, I was in the Vatican and everywhere else by then. But I used to see him a lot in the city, but not, you know, play games anymore. I'm surprised while you were in the Vatican, you didn't become Pope. You've done everything else. Well, I would have loved to. <laughs> you know, in our family, the first the first born of each family, the first child has to be sacrificed to the church. And my sister Terry was older than me, and she became a nun at 14. Whereas if I was born first, I would have went to, you know, to uh, become a priest. And who knows? Maybe I would have had a shot. <laughs> who knows? Yes. First American Pope. There, there you go. go. Well, they they say now is going to be Dolan. Do you believe that? Who? Cardinal Dolan. They're saying is going to be the first American Pope. Really? He's he's really playing politics well. So yeah, I say he's very political. Yeah. Oh yeah. I you have to be when you're the arch, head of the Archdiocese of New York. Yeah. I mean, you have to be a politician to survive. He was so enamored when he saw me with the Pope. Because he knew me from the neighborhood just by sleeping in the church from that, that early on in yeah. St. Patrick's. And then he saw me on the dais. It was amazing. But anyway, but uh, so, he, and he was Jewish, wasn't he, Kluge? Yeah, well, he was uh, Jewish by religion. Nationality, he was uh, Scottish and German. Uh, came, came here with his parents uh, uh, just before the 20s, 1920s. Wow. And he um, also, when he married his third wife, um, I don't know exactly which one that was, Patricia? but he converted to um, Roman Catholicism as well. Oh, that must be Patricia. Yeah, she, the boy, you she, think? She must have driven a hard bargain. I think. <laughs> I think. Well, you're married, huh? All right. You're going to have to become a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Got to convert. Yeah. Usually it's the other way around. You, you want to marry me and my $80 billion? <laughs> Hello. You think? Yep. Okay. How do I do that? But I think Yolanda and Patricia were both secretaries to him. That's how they got to him first. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yep. So that's why when, when Patricia did it to to Yolanda, she basically said, "Well, that's how you got him." <laughs> wow. Well, she was his secretary, and he, she stole him from a second wife, or third wife. Then she became the wife, and then Patricia became the wife, and then this last girl I don't even know. Nothing but, is forever. No, hello. Oh, he gave away a 7,300-acre spread of land in Virginia to the University of Virginia, which is now part of the school. Oh, wow. That's a lot of acres. And, and let me say, but that that's not Columbia, though. No, this is the University of Virginia. So he, uh, so he supported a lot of colleges, too. Yeah, he did. He was uh, very much into education. Uh, at, at a time when people weren't getting educated in this country, 
He uh, got a master's degree in something. Uh, I, th I think it was business. Makes he, sense. he did? Wow. I believe it was a master's. Let me uh, let me look further here. Uh, no, he, he, he got a BA degree in economics from Columbia. Uh, prior to attending, here we go, prior to attending uh, Columbia, he went to uh, Wayne State University, which is in Virginia. Well, maybe that's the tie. That's it. He's, he's Scotch-German. He's also got some English blood in him. Uh, he's got a, a, a spy career during World War II. Uh, Kluge served in the interrogation facility, then known as P.O. Box 1142. For the Americans or for the English? For us. It was Washington. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was uh, a part of the uh, OSS, which was the August of, uh, Office of Strategic Services, a precursor to the CIA. He was part of uh, an interrogation team, which probably had something to do with his German heritage. Probably spoke German. Did he speak German, did you yeah. know? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, well, that was the reason then. And uh, it, the, the this unit didn't have a name. It had a number. PO Box 1142. Very secret organization then. Obviously, now it's not. I never heard of it until right now. Well, I guess, you know, these people tend to keep their mouths shut when it comes to their... Uh, in fact, they aren't allowed to speak about spying. Services. Well, that would make sense for all the people politically that were in his house all the time. Yeah. He, I mean, like Kissinger, like I said, Henry Kissinger was, was there. You know, this, I mean, and, and the fact that I'm still friends with Baroness Lagerwald, she she tells everybody that, you know, her husband and I and Kluge and a bunch of guys, we played backgammon through the night, man. The women who get mad at us, they get so crazy. But, Did you give uh, that up or are you still involved in that? Backgammon? No, I gave it up. I, I still love to play. You get some players. It's a, it's hard to find good players, though. Most of the people I play with, you know, they learn it and whatever. They don't have a chance. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, so it's, you were really one of the best at some point? At one time, I was one of the, I was registered as a number only. At the Carlton Hotel, I was in a tournament, million-dollar buy-in, and I had people used to put up the money for me, and I'd get part of the purse. But I, I was second to last playing Omar Sharif at the Carlton Hotel in the casino. You're supposed to be really one of the best. Right yeah. Now. But I, play, I played with Onassis. I played with Prince Rainier. I played with some big players. Who won? Well, that's a back and forth type of situation with them. We were we weren't killing each other with money, so it was up and down. We spend the days, you know, you go hopping from boat to boat, and we had I had I have a backgammon set here that I bought when I was nineteen. I still have it. How does an Italian kid growing up in Little Italy selling pens on the street? <laughs> Learning how to play backgammon. I can see shooting cops on a street corner. Well, I learned that too, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what I liked when I was dating? Like, I'm to tell you how it happened. I was dating Dorit Zaka, and I met her in. I was going to L London a lot. I met Sinatra a couple of times over there on our way to the south of France. So I was. I met this girl in a place called the, the Bianca Elefante. And it was a private casino in in, uh, in London. And Johnny Tramp, that was his real name, 
and and the uh, I forgot the the, the Cooper brothers, the, they were the young kids and the mafia kids with the the Gambinos controlled them, and they introduced me to this girl, and she lived right where I lived on Hyde Park. I lived in Eaton Square, and during the day we'd meet in the park, and so while I'm sitting getting the sun for hours, I she taught me how to play backgammon. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel sorry for Johnny Tramp's wife, known as Mrs. Tramp. <laughs> That's That's not, I never thought of that, actually. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a wife. But there's a character. We've got to talk about him sometime. But Kluge, again, to get back to him, now I could see why he's so diverse. The fact that you're saying, you know, even that he was in this... CIA type of operation, and what he was a young man. I'm sure he was approached because by that time he was worth an awful lot of money. He was too old to enlist or to be drafted in World War II, so they approached him and said, "Would you like to serve your country?" And how to do it with the German language, without a doubt, or his connections in Germany. Right. Uh, oh, so he wasn't a young man and grew into that. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that? Well, this was an interrogation unit, so they were uh, they were more than likely interrogating prisoners of war. Because we had German prisoner of war camps in this country. I didn't know that either. Yeah, we we had them uh, m mostly in the Western states, uh, and he was he had to be involved in that because of the language. That's the only thing I can think. Probably now that you're explaining it, yeah. Cause, I mean, to me, well, I never studied any American history. I, I, I left school early. <laughs> well, you didn't have to study a part of it. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. No. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm glad I'm a part of it. and didn't there have to go. study it. <laughs> what, do you have anything to add, my darling? Yeah, sure. Um, so as a mentor of yours, what's, what's an, can you cite an example of like a specific business venture or you know career move that he helped you with? Anything that your fans might be aware of? What what, you, what you'd be aware of, early on I met the, the Perlman brothers. They were out of, out of uh, Florida, and they're good friends of Mylansky. Obviously, you had to give them the okay. And they owned a, a, a company called Lums, L-U-M apostrophe S. And Lums had the reputation of selling hot dogs and sauerkraut that was soaked in beer. And they sold them basically to beer, to uh, bars, and was, because they need to steal beer in the kegs that were left over. So there's always some left over. They did put it in, that's how they came to be. Why, I mean, how, where they're gonna go, you're not gonna believe, but I had an opportunity to buy Lums at 50 cents a share. So, and he, I mean, he read the Wall Street Journal from you know cover to cover, so I told him about this. He said, "I don't know," said, but then he let me look into it. He says, uh, "How much are you going to put in it?" I said, "I mean, think I put a hundred grand in." He's not going to match with it. I said, "What?" He said, "Yeah, I read about these guys." Well, Lums for the world who's listening, Lums went public. Went to $156, split three ways, and then became Caesar's World. They bought Caesar's Palace. 
All from hot dogs and sauerkraut. Do you believe that? And he was the chairman of the board, Clifford Perlman. Oh, and, he could hold on to it. I mean, almost till his death. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the Perlman brother, Clifford Perlman is known. I mean, they, he was a character. I dated his daughter, too, for a while. She was nice. Well, let me ask you this question. Who didn't you date? That would be an easier <laughs> date. Uh, most girls that were broke, I didn't date. <laughs> well, I'm old. I mean, I meet these people. They have daughters, and they want to introduce me to their daughters. I think they're nuts. I'd keep you away from my daughters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You learned. No, but uh, that was my first uh, interest with him. But he, you know, he he had the wherewithal to call anybody, reach out, and do what was going on. But he knew the move, what was going to happen. And about two years later, there they are. And Clifford, I really love Clifford. I mean, because Clifford, you know, obviously was uh, also with Al Malnick and Maya Lansky. Everybody that I knew seemed to be they were all doing this. This is when the syndicate was put into action when they realized they were not going to get Cuba back. So they started focusing on Vegas. And that was it. Was, uh, was uh, Ron Perlman one of those brothers? Or is that no, no, no. That's Ron Perlman was in the, uh, he's Revlon. Right. No, yeah. no, no, no. Oh, no, no. It had nothing to do with the sauerkraut Perlman. No, nothing to do with sauerkraut. He probably wouldn't like the smell of it, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't think. It wouldn't make a good perfume. You know, he's my neighbor. He lives on 60, he lives right over here on 62nd Street. Yeah. His, his, his apartment goes block to block. You enter his townhouse on 63rd oh, wow. and come out on 62nd if you want. He has two entrances. He made him one. I had a friend of mine used to be his bodyguard. Oh, yeah? Nicest man. There's yeah. another guy you would never know. And he belongs to doubles. I used to see him a lot down there. That was the name of the club. I was trying to remember it. Doubles at the Sherry Netherlands Hotel. It's still there. You have to have 10 members vouch for you to come in. And it's a hefty initiation to get in, dollar-wise. They want to make sure you can play. But uh, Doubles was the name of the club. And still going. Probably one of the oldest private clubs in New York City. Interesting. So I think we, uh, we have enough on this guy. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, hello. I think so. Do we have a show or should we keep talking? I think we have a show. All right. I don't. I don't want our fans, you know, because we're we're, we're broadening the spectrum of of people who are mentors, and most of them were gangsters. And now they're legitimate people, and it's all good. Tune in next week. We're going to be uh, discussing Clara Bell, the clown who used to be on Howdy Doody. Is that the topic? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like I'm to know. Saying, you know you said no, our I, spectrum is the, rather broad. No, I, I, I know, but the interesting thing is. To our audience, this is how we decide what we're doing next week. Yeah, we, really, we, we, we just we, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. What, what show is this, Megan? This is one fifteen. We did one hundred and fifteen hours ad libbing. We should yeah, be, exactly. We, we should we should be known as the great ad libbers. Forget about <laughs> for for our viewers, a little inside information. Yeah, we thank record, God. Yeah, we record at, at six p.m. At 5.55, Johnny and I get on the phone, hey, what do you want to talk about tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically it, you know? Well, that's, that's why the mailbag right. the mailbag means a lot to us. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the yeah, segment we're coming up to. I'm the only one who sees to. any of that. But, but I'm saying it's a, it's a good inspiration because 
We really need your input, and we want to answer your questions and, you know, talk about some of the stuff that you're interested in. Ask us anything. Please. Yeah, that stump us. Let's have that a contest. Who could stump right. us? With a, I don't know with, if you can be stumped. Well, I don't think so. Either. Don't that know might that be yet. a difficult task. Uh -huh. All right, so I think it's. we'll have one more commercial break. When we come back, Perfect. we're going to go to the mailbag. We'll be right back. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneBuyingItalian.com That's CorleoneBuyingItalian.com Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here. Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I've launched. Private investigator Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes and The Pop Line. Both books are on paperback and are available on Amazon.com. I've been a PI for 30 years, and these books are based on my cases. Enjoy. And we're back. All right, let's get into it. The first question is from Mario. Gianni, I know you were friends with Kirk Kerkorian and the dapper Alex Yemenijian. Am I Yem Yemenijian? Yemenijian. Alex Yemenijian. Thank you. Thank you for jumping in. There. We should talk about those two. Maybe we they just gave us a topic. <laughs> see, see what we're talking about. Alex <laughs> Yemenijian and Kirk Kerkorian. Give you. Let's do this. His, think of this, Pat. Kirk yeah. Kerkorian always wanted a son. He only had a girl, Trish, who he gave TW Airlines to. He found this guy as an accountant. Being that he was an Armenian like him and so good looking, I mean, we can talk about this forever, which we should do for next next week. Who, who wrote this? Who, gave, who wrote this to us? I didn't even Mario? ask the question yet. <laughs> no, Mario said about no. Yeah, said, Mario. But I didn't ask the question yet. Okay. Oh, all right. Let's hear the question. I'm sorry. Okay. So I know you were friends with them and said they had no connection to Armenian organized crime, which is true. But did you know Jerry Tarkanian, who was very connected to the Armenian mob and had a lot of doors open because of his connections and was also close friends with Sinatra? Jerry Tarkanian became the coach of UNLV because of his mob connections. <laughs> Did you know that? Went on to be one of the biggest college coaches in, in basketball. But it had nothing no, to do with those two guys. No. Kirk Kerkorian, we should talk about it next week, I'm serious. Kirk Kerkorian started as a farmer in L.A. Talk about self-made millionaire. Billionaire. Just regular farming. We'll look into it, though. All right. We'll check them out. Yeah. And, and Alex, oh my God, what a man he turned out to be. Alex Jemenegian started running MGM Studios for Kurt. And then when Kurt built the MGM Grand, he ran that hotel. He was the general manager. 
And then him, by himself, Alex Jemenegian, bought his son the Tropicana Hotel. Talk about a guy. When I come back, I'm coming back as an Armenian. <laughs> that seems to be the way to go, right? I don't know. That, that, that group did well. Oh, yeah. So moving on. All right, next is from George. He says, great singers during the early time of Paul Anka were from the Bronx, Dion and the Belmonts. Can you relate any stories on this top NYC group of the 50s and 60s? Paul Anka is from Canada. Where are you talking about the Bronx? <laughs> maybe he passed through the Bronx on the way to Manhattan. Yeah, maybe. No, I knew his father, Andy, from... No, Paul Anka is a Canadian kid, man, a genius. At 15, he had, had his... On the show two months ago. Yeah, he had his first yeah. hit. But and the, the Bronx, I mean, like all doo-wop groups, each borough had their own that made it, you know, like look at, uh, what's her name, Frankie, um, oh, Frankie Lyman? No, no, the, the big group, the, the, the most famous group, oh, Broadway play, everything else, what was the name of it? Oh, Four Seasons. Four Seasons. No, they were New York group, New Jersey, New York, no, and the, the Belmonts, obviously, were from Belmont Avenue in the Bronx. Exactly. Even Chaz Palminteri. <laughs> Became a hero out of the Bronx. It was a good friend of ours. Yeah, him but, on the show, too. I think well, yeah. if you want to be on the show, people, you have to be from the Bronx. No. <laughs> that's uh, that's a given. But Paul Lank Paul Paul is not from the Bronx, but a very talented kid. But, yeah. you know, that's what they did on the corner. If they weren't shooting crap, they were harmonizing. And yeah. I'm, I'm looking South Philly, how many people came out of South Philly? Bobby Rydell. Yeah. Frankie Avalon, everybody came out of there. Yeah. Did we answer the guy's question? I don't even know now. I think we have a couple of our own questions in there somewhere. <laughs> what was the question? Did we answer it? <laughs> Just sharing any stories of the group of the 50s and no, 60s I think, entertainers. I think every borough. I remember Staten Island had a, bar, a, a, a group that I happen to know really well because of South Beach, uh, the, uh, the Elegance. Vito Pacone was the lead singer. Where are you, little star? They had wow, one hit. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big hit, but they only had one. <laughs> anyway. All right, next one is from Scotty. Scotty says, Gianni, when Frank Costello died, did you feel at the time that it would make you vulnerable to wise guys shaking you down? Without the protection of Costello, did you approach business dealings differently, especially with any of the mafia families? I wasn't doing... Costello died in 73. I was very well established in legitimate business, and I wasn't doing any business other than with friends and friends of mine that I've been doing business with all along. When I, I mean, Costello died, there was such a void in my life. But I had two friends. One I'll mention, because I can, because he passed on, Tommy Bellotti, who was the underboss of the Gambino family, was the best man twice in my wedding. And another guy who's just got out after doing 23 years, nobody would go near me because they knew they'd have to deal with them. And forget about that. So anyway. Joe was out? Yeah, he's out. He's in the halfway house. Don't mention the last name. I didn't. Good. No, Joe, Joe's in the halfway house. Careful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. That's a man <laughs> I totally respect. 
in many ways. Of course. All right, moving on. Next is from Louis. Louis says, I've been listening for a couple months and I'm now caught up with all episodes. And I have to say, I really love this podcast. I was wondering if either Gianni or Patrick have any knowledge of Bohemian Grove and the rumors that surround it and the several presidents and world leaders who've been there. Any stories they've heard or cared to tell? Thanks for the podcast. Definitely one of my favorites. I will defer to Gianni Russo, who knows everything. I was I was I was just going to say I heard of Bohemians. Bohemians. I, I thought they were Bohemians were uh, beatniks, beatniks I weren't they? I don't know what. What is Bohemian Grove? You know? No. Did, do you, did you look? Did, do you know? Um, look it up. Oh, let's see. Bohemian Grove, a campground at Bohemian Avenue in Monte Rio, California, belonging to a private. San Francisco-based gentlemen's club known as the Bohemian Club. No. Doesn't, first of all, it's the gentlemen's club I ain't joining. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that seems to be what it is. Bohemian Club's all-male membership includes artists and musicians, as well as many prominent business leaders, government officials, U.S. presidents, etc. No. I guess if it was in California. No, no, I, I, I wouldn't be in there. club that would have him as a member. No, that's right. They're probably. <laughs> well, I guess you guys are finally stumped. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There we go. Stump the Italians. That's why we have you. See how fast you pull that up? Yeah. <laughs> I can type fast. That's one thing. All right. Next is from John. John says, my family were Teamster officials for 70 years and stayed at the Desert Inn a lot. Did you know Jackie Leonard, who worked at the DI? Of course. Are you kidding me? Jackie Leonard, of course. Jackie. No, no, everybody there. I mean, the, the, the DI was Desert Inn, obviously, and that's how uh, one of my, well, we had him on a show. We did a show about him just not too long ago, Mo Dalitz. Mo Dalitz bought the Desert Inn Hotel legitimately from Wilbur Clark, who went broke, and he kept him in running it. Yeah. No, Desiden was always Teamster. What happened to Jackie Leonard? He sort of just dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, I, he fell out of grace with a couple of people. Yeah. He got stupid. And um, I don't know if he really fell out of grace or fell into the hole. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in the desert, I assume. Yeah. He was in one of those hefty bags with a 50-pound bag of lime. There you go. Oh, no. All right, next is from Karen. Karen says, hi, I recently saw a photo, photo with Mr. Costello in Havana with what appears to be Sheldon Leonard, the TV producer. How acquainted was Frank Costello with Hollywood types, and how did he feel about Gianni's role in The Godfather? Well, at that time, I was already, you know, he was, he was sick already. The movie came out in 72. He died in 73. And he was very proud because I always was, was, was aspiring to be an actor, you know. And uh, <laughs> and he was happy how I got it too. <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting story for him. No, but uh, no, we had a, an amazing friendship and, and father son relationship. He really respected me, and I respected him. And I listened to everything he said until he died. Actually, yeah. you know, for, for our listeners who don't know who Sheldon Leonard was. He was the quintessential tough guy in all the movies in the 30s and 40s. He, he always played the wise guy, talked out of the side of his mouth, 
Uh, he'd always be in uh, B movies. He saved his money and invested, and he became a very wealthy producer and director. Really? And and a real estate person. The man owned everything in well, Southern I California. Know. I didn't know uh, him at all. Very, very interesting character. If well, you saw him or heard him, you, you would know who he is. He was in every B movie there was in the 40s. Always played a gangster. The only, the only now, now that uh, Pat has given us a definition of what he did, the only way I think that Costello would be in his company is because of Mickey Cohen. He, if he was in California, he had to be with Mickey and Johnny Rosselli. Yeah, these were Southern California guys. Yeah, yeah. That's how that was. So we answered your question. We didn't even know the answer. We found out. We gave you too much. Yeah. Moving right along. Hello? Oh, sorry. I was muted for a second. I was <laughs> I was saying that our time is actually up. That's all we have for tonight. Oh, wow. Well, great. I enjoyed the show. I hope all of you did out there. And, and, left. and Pat and Megan and I totally appreciate you. I mean, here we are rolling into our third year, and you've made us a, a success. Not as big as we really want to be, so you better tell a lot more people because we want to grow. We want to be uh, give a, everywhere. Give us a minute or two about your uh, clothing line that's de debuting this week. Oh, it's actually, is it de debuting this week? Oh, no, you're uh, sneaking it out. Our yeah, it, it, yeah, you're taking the catalog. You're taking pictures from catalog now, right? right yes. And it's called La Cosa Mia, like La Cosa Nostra. I said La Cosa Mia, for the people who do not know what that means, it's My Thing by Gianni. And, and Maggie can attest to it. I actually cut the patterns. I sewed the shirts, the pants. I laid it all out. It's being made now in three different, different countries. But we will be online starting April 1st. And then we'll be in stores near you by April and May, fortunately. La well, Cosa Mia. will be out April 28th, so we'll be right in the midst of that. Oh, perfect. Oh, that's great. Oh, this show, you mean? Oh, perfect. Thank you. Yes, what we're recording right now. Yeah, that's I, great. I leave you with two words. 42 regular. That's me. <laughs> yeah, me Look, too. How about that? How about that? Same size, huh? So I, I could send you some stuff almost immediately. <laughs> I, I, I would never have thought of that. No, it's Thank perfect. All right, great. With that said, God bless you all. Wear a mask, stay safe, tell your friends, write opinions, and we'll be back next week. Love you. God bless Bye, everybody. you. Bye-bye. Good night. Woo. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038.
Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around. Welcome to Feinstein's. I love being here, man. It's so much fun.